0: Welcome to the Political Economy Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Pethokoukas of the American Enterprise Institute. Each week, I feature a lively conversation with experts on some of the most important economic and policy questions of our time. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider rating and reviewing it on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews really help with the podcast visibility, and I always appreciate the feedback. Thanks, and on to the show. When we think of infrastructure, roads and bridges are among the first things that come to mind. But over the past decade, massive investments in warehouse-scale data centers constitute a new kind of infrastructure buildup, and that cloud computing infrastructure might be the beginning of a new economic revolution. My guest today is Mark Mills, and we'll be discussing the revolution in cloud computing and how it could lead to a new roaring 20s. Mark is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a faculty fellow at Northwestern University's McCormick School of Engineering. His latest book is The Cloud Revolution, How the Convergence of New Technologies Will Unleash the Next Economic Boom in a Roaring 2020s. Mark, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. One of the big issues here in Washington has been uh, infrastructure. The president signed a big infrastructure bill. And when people hear infrastructure, they think roads and bridges, that sort of thing. Um, but your book is about infrastructure and a kind of infrastructure that may be uh, more important than some of the things that that are going to be funded by this new trillion-dollar bill.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've we've been building roads since Roman times, uh, famously. So we're all going to need roads for a while, I think, and bridges. The biggest new infrastructure that humanity has ever built is being built by free markets, in some non-free markets, mostly free markets today, which is you know loosely the cloud. And most people don't really know what that means, but it is not a ethereal thing. It's a physical infrastructure, by all measures of dollars, physical equipment, square feet of buildings. It's the biggest infrastructure humanity has ever built. It's really quite remarkable.
0: In the book, you, uh, we call it the cloud, a somewhat less glamorous name, uh, that's also been referred to, at least it used to be referred to, you You quote some Google engineers saying, it, they call it a warehouse scale computer. It's yeah. uh, somewhat less prosaic than cloud. Is that a good way of thinking? It's just like a big computer or a big warehouse full of so many computers
1: that it itself is a mega computer? Yeah, well, that's a part of the cloud. So the, the cloud, the easiest way to describe the cloud is the way almost, I would say, of people who listen in in America today use the cloud pretty much close to daily. If you do finance on your phone or a computer, if you order with DoorDash, Airbnb, uh, you do Google mapping, all these functions use a device that you hold, whether it could be a smartphone or a computer, they uh, connect through wired and wireless networks to massive, as you put it, and Google called it, warehouse scale computers, data centers, do processing. They don't just store information and calculate, do inference things, not just calculations. They're trying to disintermediate all kinds of complex relationships for you to find the food you want or the house or the ride. So all those features together, all that physical infrastructure combined is the cloud. But at the middle of the cloud, sort of its beating heart, if you like, are these extraordinarily big warehouse scale, uh, Walmart-sized buildings, that are jam packed full of computers and servers and storage that don't just store information. They do things that, you know, we talk to Alexa or Siri voice about, we can communicate with it, of course, but it's more than communication. It's all the things that we take for granted zooming or uh, asking for opinions, something like, if I like this, I would like, you know, if I like a, you might like B what Amazon does in, in, giving you suggestions about books. These are all inferential exercises that look at you know all kinds of different kinds of data. Most of it we think is private. Some of it's not so private. <laughs> That's a whole separate issue. But it's also what's making uh, supply chains more efficient shortly. It's hard to do supply chains, like it's hard to do health. So the things that cloud has made better in our lives by and large, Uh, Most people, most people, not everybody, think that the way we get news is easier, better. It's had disruptions. The way we get entertainment is easier and better with disruptions. The way we do our finance is clearly easier and better than having to trudge down to a bank and doing Zelle or Benmo is a lot more friction taken up. But those are the worlds of information, bits worlds, that are much easier to automate. That's 20% of the GDP. People have been babbling about, you know, the next industrial revolution for for decades. It's really hard to disintermediate the physical stuff, transportation, manufacturing, supply chains, growing and building things, because it's the world of atoms. They move with laws of physics. They have inertia. They have consequence if you get it wrong. Blue screen death, jitter, you know, it's incon- inconvenient on your watching a Netflix streaming. If that happens when the self-driving car is driving you or a load of goods from a port, it's not so good. It could be the real death. So it's slower moving, harder to do, but that's what's happening now. My book's really about the, sort of the, the, the intersection, but the engineers and scientists call a cyber physical revolution. The cyber world finally emerges with the physical world to add efficiencies.
0: I think people, when they think about it, they think about you know, data centers, you know, buildings, but as you nicely, uh, as you nicely put it in the book, uh, it's not just that it's quote, arrays of communications hardware propel bytes along highways, constituting not only 3 billion miles of glass cables, much of it buried, but also the equivalent of another 100 billion miles, that's a 1000 times the distance to the sun of invisible <laughs> connections forged by 4 million cell towers. So even though we're talking about You know, the cloud and bits. This is a real massive physical thing that we've created almost, you know, very, in a way, very quietly. We may see some cell towers, but this is a massive human endeavor that to many people seems like it just kind of happened. When did it start happening?
1: We we began with the first computer rooms in 1944 and 45, right? right? Colossus was the first computer. I give credit to my homeland. The Brit- British beat the Americans in that case. ENIAC came second. Um, and then in early days of computing, we talked about computer rooms and then computer centers. And then we call them data centers. You had to use terminals. Like you didn't have a computer. There'd be like a terminal, right. that you,
0: that, kind of a dumb terminal that you would go to, which was computer. I think that's how Bill Gates and Paul Allen started.
1: They all began. You all begin with a, a, a keyboard. You type in a dumb terminal. And we think of smartphones as smart terminals is essentially what they are. but your your smart terminal in your hand or pocket has 10,000 times the compute power of an IBM mainframe of 1980 so it's a pretty smart terminal but it's dumb by data center standards so the cloudification if you like of computing really began in earnest about 20 years ago and took off about 10 years ago so amazon you know give jeff bezos credit for figuring out not only that what the cloud could do was different than you got mail, AOL, email, circa 1990. Yeah, email is a big deal, but email is just a communications device. It's a way, right, of sending mail. We, we know that what you use a smartphone for, facial recognition to turn it on, to in, not just uh, literally talk to the cloud or somebody else, but get information, instruction, advice, talk to a doctor, But increasingly that smart terminal can be a diagnostic device. Probably most people have seen the advertisements for the EKG that you can connect to your smartphone and give your doctor uh, medically useful information. That kind of capability, which is not just about end use devices, but analyzing the data with supercomputers in the cloud. What we used to call supercomputers, now so super it defies description. It, and it's happened to your point, sort of quietly, people have taken for granted this velocity. They're both amazed by it. Like, wow, look at, the, look at my smartphone. At the same time, inured by the, just the common common distribution of us. It. It's, like, well, it's whatever, I got a smartphone. Well, computing power has increased a billion fold in 50 years, computations per second of the best computers, a billion fold. No other product has improved its performance that much in all of history that has to be consequential. But what's even more consequential is you move computing into not just calculations, but inference in information storage. Inference is obviously different than computation. I'm sort of estimating guessing. It's probably the best route for you to take. This might be the best medication for you to take. I mean, like a doctor, doctors don't know. So AI in the cloud could advise a doctor, doesn't replace a doctor. But that function if think in economic terms, has a cost function, right? It's what does it cost me to get that stuff? Well, we can measure that too. So over the same fifty years, if we measure computations per second per dollar, how many computations per second do I get to buy for one buck? Uh, how's that changed in fifty years? Well, Moore's law gave us a billion times more computation horsepower in fifty years. What the cloud has done is increased our access in economic terms a hundred billion fold you get 100 billion times more computational power per dollar now than 50 years ago. You know We're both um, underestimating in the sense of what that means in many forecasting domains, and in a way overestimating it in some areas where people are being a little goofy about AI, like somehow it's gonna replace people, it's artificial intelligence, end of jobs. So we have this sort of dichotomy, almost schizophrenia about it this is sort of typical in history. We were schizophrenic about nuclear energy. We were schizophrenic about automation when it started. We were schizophrenic about the industrial revolution, about trains, about cars, about the telephone, about, I mean, the list goes on. People people have schizophrenia of these things.
0: And and just sort of one more basic question. Who owns this? Is it, you mentioned Amazon, all right? All the, this giant network machine that does all these calculations and inferences
1: Who's running this thing? Well, that's the that's if you're in uh, North Korea, we know the answer. <laughs> right. If you're in China, we know the answer. Um, in the in the free world, there's no one organization that runs the cloud. Even Amazon, which has the biggest cloud presence in the world, it's still the leader. Is others are catching up. Uh, there are features to the cloud that Amazon doesn't run around that the networks itself, for example. There's no there's no owner. There are dominant players, and what's happening right now as the infrastructure expands is that there are a lot of new players growing very rapidly that own different features of it. So it's it's like uh, it would be like ad asking, and, and the analogy doesn't really work because information is so different, and it, it phenomenologically physically. But you know who who owns? Maybe like say who owns transportation? Well, there's airplanes and ships, and there's cars, there's highways, there's there's a lot of stuff in it. Uh, there are businesses that own a lot more of the infrastructure, and governments have a big say in where roads go. They have a big say where cell towers go and where fiber cables get laid, right? They, so, but we do have the capacity to to uh, make the rules of the road, which is the regulatory space, and and make them onerous, Chinese like or North Korean like, or one hopes <laughs> we keep making them leaning towards freer uh, markets because the idea that we should control this beast, the cloud, by over-regulating it, sort of assumes it's mature, that we don't know what the next evolution will be. And I think we are at the, um, to put it in the the obvious phrase, we're at the end of the beginning of the evolution of the cloud. We're not at the end phases. I mean, let let me do a a calibration in dollar terms because money matters, right? (laughs) At the macro level, the world is now spending more on capital equipment. So hardware. I'll talk about building out cloud infrastructure, which is again everything I described. It's not just data centers. We're spending more on that now than we are spending on oil and gas infrastructure, hardware. But think about it. Or put put in utility terms, we're spending far more building out of clouds that consume electricity than all the world's utilities are spending annually to produce electricity and distribute it. So it's it's already become a big consumer of capital. If I thought about the warehouse scale data centers, which are, they're hard to sort of imagine and visualize if nobody's ever been in one. If you're a science fiction fan and you picture the Borg ship in Star Trek, kind of looks like a Borg Borg ship. Not many people, a lot of blinking lights and computers running hard. So one, one square meter of a typical cloud data center has about a thousand times more compute horsepower than the whole world had in the early 80s. And we are building out data centers at the moment at the rate of about 10 million square feet a year. And data centers, interestingly, cost about the same to build as skyscrapers like the Empire State Building or the World Trade Center. It's a dollar per square foot, about the same. They rent out for about 500% more per square foot, unsurprisingly, because of the density of information compared to the density of human beings in a skyscraper. We're building data centers at about three, $400 billion worth a year. We're not building $300 billion worth of skyscrapers a year. Right? You know, We're building a 10th of that. So all the metrics that sort of we think about in economy, square footage, dollars, rents. Oh, let's talk about power. A data center uses a hundred times more power per square foot than a skyscraper. And again, we've already built out in square footage, 300% more data centers than skyscrapers and we're building them out at about 400% the rate. So it's, it's a big infrastructure and it's not something that's being pushed on people. It's being built in reaction to our consumption of the products it offers. And the products it offers are, well, we know what they are. It's not just Zooming. It's not just net, you know Netflix and streaming video. There isn't a, one of us who wouldn't be happier with an even better medical advice interface Not replacing our doctor, making it easier for my doctor to know something about me, but private information, easier to collect my personal medical information, easier to store it securely, but then to have supercomputers look at my, you know, blood chemistry, my EKG over the recent two weeks before I go to the doctor to give advice to the doctor. First thing, first thing that happens when we all go to the doctor, what do they say to you? If you're not feeling well, Well. um. What did you eat two days ago? Or all set of questions that you have no idea. And nor does a doctor. He gets a snapshot in, in, in time.
0: Economists like to use the phrase, they'll call some technologies general purpose technologies. And those are sort of technologies that enable other technologies and, and become sort of embedded in, the, in those technologies. I mean, uh, electrification, that's a, that's a general purpose technology. Uh, right. Maybe the internal combustion engine. Uh, people will talk about AI as a general purpose technology, but your book isn't called AI. It's <laughs> called the cloud. So is the cloud a general purpose technology? And if it is, how did it, does it enable or work its way into the other technologies that you think are going to you know, speed up the economy and productivity right. and growth, all the stuff we love to talk Not about true. in this podcast?
1: I like economists. I make fun of them a lot uh, because it's easy to do. It's kind of like making fun of lawyers because there's a lot of both of them. But I do quote some of my favorite economists in my book. There. A good economist is a really a magical thing in my opinion. They understand how markets work and economies. So first to be clear, electric motor is a general purpose technology. Electricity is how you power it. So I'm, I'm saying that for deliberate reasons. An internal combustion engine is a general purpose technology. You can use it to fly airplanes, drive ships, make cars, make electricity. So the, hence general purpose technology. Microprocessors are general purpose technologies in the same way. They're the building blocks of the cloud, your smartphone and use devices. So that's the general purpose technology. The cloud is more like a, a utility infrastructure, the way electricity is, the way water is, with a, dis, with a distinction that's not trivial. It enables other general purpose capabilities quite unlike electrification because it invades all the others. So electricity is evaded a lot and we keep electrifying things, but it's not that easy to electrify everything. It just, it just isn't. Uh, some things are better done mechanically or with combustion. There's almost nothing that we do for which more information is not useful. In fact, I would word it differently. Everything we do, everything in life, more information and knowledge is, has utility. So, when I take a general purpose engine like a microprocessor and distribute it at the scale we distribute it at, and, and we, we really change the world in a way that no other general purpose technology has. Now, one economist in particular likes to label AI, which is a different class of computing chip, computing software, because it infers, estimates instead of calculates as a general purpose technology. I don't call my book AI because AI is one of the tools in the cloud, both on the edge that is in your device, because there's an AI driven engine that does facial recognition. It's a very simple one, but that's what that is. And in there's AI in the cloud. The AI in the cloud is what we use to do drug discovery now. We put a lot of data about molecular behavior into a supercomputer and run an AI program, not to calculate the best combination of molecules for therapy. We we put AI in the cloud in order to estimate what would make sense as as a better drug or better therapeutic. And that's what human beings do. We estimate, we don't really calculate. Some things should be calculated, some things should be estimated. And there are differences, so they're complementary. The idea that AI is general purpose technology is true, but you need more than just AI to do the kinds of things we're talking about. Let's use Healthcare for the example. I, I want very specific data about my body's state, but I don't want to estimate it. I want to know my temperature, EKG, EEG, blood sugar. There's all there's there are hundreds of things I'd like to know in real time if I could collect it. You would do that with sensors, which are made possible by new classes of materials, which I write about. And we can we can have those sensors communicate in real time to a device like a smartphone now, which was unprecedented in history. I don't have to wire my body. Engineers are now talking in terms of a body centric network. So you have your own body internet in the fact that collect information about you, which you can securely keep and protect, share with your doctor when you choose to, pretty useful. But then some features of that are digital. I wanna compute. Some features are inferential, Inferential. so it's the fusion of that. Those functions combined with the fusion of large and small computing, in effect, computers I can swallow disappear into dust motes with supercomputers of the size of a warehouse that can do, make sense of the complex data. So it's, it feels like a complicated story, but if I tried to tell the story of electrification in 1902, you begin to describe, well, I could make an air conditioner. People would look at you, dull no, Like, what do you mean an air conditioner? You know, Hero of Alexander imagined cooling things, but no one could imagine an air conditioner, right? Till you had electric motors and compressors. You couldn't imagine all the things we've done with electricity since, including lasers and, you know, radar and radio communications. Those are all entrepreneurs doing things with the new phenomenology. We're at that stage with the general purpose technologies that are Part of the future of the cloud.
0: I think you know a skeptic might say, "Well, we've the cloud's been here. We've 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 had the cloud, and no one no one is saying it's not super useful." But do all these uses really add up to enough? Uh, you know, I've I've certainly written about you know sort of weak productivity growth, how innovative is the economy? Does the cloud and sort of the technological spheres in which it gets woven into? does it add up to it to a ultimately at the end of the day, a sort of a much, a much faster economy, a much more productive economy and an
1: economy that will raise living standards faster than they have been raised? Yeah, that's, well, that's that's the part that matters, right? I mean, the other stuff is interesting. The fact that we can see movies more easily. I mean, it's fun. Netflix is making a lot of money, but does that move the meter in the productivity of the economy? And the answer is we know the answer at the high level of economics is no. Because the bits part of our economy, news, entertainment, and finance are important, but collectively they're roughly 20% of GDP. So we have improved with information, the information centric parts of our economy. Your point is well taken because most economists have been saying correctly that productivity growth has been lagging in industrial markets, mining, manufacturing, and especially in healthcare. So, what I spend time in my book specifically is mapping out that domain about where we're going to get productivity in the things we care about. Well, the way I map it out is not to speculate, wouldn't it be nice if, but rather looking at what's already happening, that's pre-commercial in each space. And then one can easily speculate, again, let's do healthcare. Telemedicine is a much better way to do pre-screening rather than going to the doctor uh, for everything that ails somebody. Doctors, you still want to go to the doctor? Great. Maybe- One out of three times you should have shown up. The other two we do by telemedicine. We'll have a model T moment for general purpose robots before long because they already exist. We don't have to guess, it's not science fiction. So I sort of I tried to look at all the examples, specific examples like that across the spaces that we care where we live in. So if you if if one looks across the physical domains of making stuff, what you see is that in every one of them, engineers are building pre-commercial or just commercial capabilities that are as consequential to productivity as Airbnb and Uber are to those information mediated domains. They go slower being implemented because the regulations are properly more challenging. You don't want to kill people. I mean, just to be callous. I mean, there's a reason we have an FDA. We we have safety regulations on cars and airplanes Uh, and we can ironically accelerate that regulatory process soon because Computers are on the cusp of good enough to do, not only in in silico drug discovery, instead of in in your body drug discovery, we do preliminary discovery in computer models of cells. Then we still have to test people, but we can get to the testing faster because we we eliminate dangerous things easier in silico. We can test machines in silico too, before we have to test them in real life, which is what Boeing and Sikorsky do now.
0: Well, that that sort of brings us full circle to what we began with, was I was talking about something that happened in Washington with policy, the passage of this infrastructure bill. Uh, from a policy standpoint, and you talked about this, these, these in, the, in the West, the, the, the cloud is a, it's, it's, it's not run by the government. There's, a, there's an aspect of freedom there. What, is there a role from government either in facilitating, not screwing up? What is the public policy sort of issues that you that you care about if you care about the cloud being useful and becoming more
1: useful. And so in my book, I only deal with politics in the preface and the epilogue, because I really want to build the case that something big is happening, which is the case for why we want to make sure we get it right politically and policy. I worry that we go down a prescriptive path, that politicians and policymakers are endemically desired. They They want to fix something, because there are problems, because we're people, we create problems. So I do worry about that. And I do worry we're, we're preoccupied with the wrong problems. Uh, so, what could kill it? Uh, the same thing uh, punitive regulations, uh, punitive taxation. Or, put differently, the question one would ask is how do I want to, not knowing what, what the efflorescence of technologies will allow innovators to do, I can't know that. How do I want to make sure it happens in the first place? I want a system that rewards risk-taking. I want a system that makes it possible to have access capital, risk capital. I want a system that rewards winners when they actually win. What worries me is we will be preoccupied with fixing bridges the old way, if in effect, by building only roads instead of making sure the world's biggest infrastructure gets built because the people that are building it aren't building it with, with direct subsidies and mandates. They're building it because the market wants these capabilities. If I were guessing today, given the appetites for break them up, big tech, right, and given the natural uh, division of services, it would not be surprising to see Amazon become multiple companies. You could imagine it having a retail business that was legally separate from its cloud service business. And they may do that themselves at some point, the way GE broke itself up, yeah. because yeah. Amazon is evolving into a conglomerate conglomerates work for only so long then they stop working.
0: So we look back a decade from now, we will, will we sort of do you think, is your best guess that we have indisputably seen a productivity acceleration where a where the, a key technology has been the cloud?
1: Yes, I mean, the short answer is, I, if our betting today, based on everything I've learned and see and the patterns I'm seeing, absent, bizarre, exogenous events, we, we Sovietize our economy we have a nuclear war, I mean, gross stuff. Even a pandemic won't stop. Generation of a one percentage point average higher GDP growth rate in America, which is not a crazy number. It's way below a long run history of productivity booms. Just that one percentage point more per year for the next decade would generate tens of trillions of dollars of cumulative net new wealth in America. The, you know, money doesn't solve all problems, but it goes a long way to ameliorating some of the most serious challenges we have. I think we'll look back and say the same kind of thing that people were starting to say when the uh, internet took off. Early on, you, you and I both remember, a lot of people were skeptical, internet, email, big deal, computers, and no one, no one I shouldn't say no one, most people in the general public punditry did not anticipate the scale of the expansion of the internet, which is a component of the cloud. It's not the cloud. And it took everybody by surprise in hindsight to look at, wow, it's a big deal. It generated whole new industries, trillion dollar industries. that didn't exist before. We're gonna see that times 10 in the next decade. And I say that because I'll end with Peter Drucker's line was one of the great analysts uh, of business and of human nature. He, he said that he only predicted what's already happened in forecasting. And by that, he meant he looked at patterns of things that were already underway that were firm and had high inertia and said that will continue. And I, I think the pattern for boom is already happening.
0: My guest today has been Mark Mills, author of The Cloud Revolution, How the Convergence of New Technologies Will Unleash the Next Economic Boom in a roaring 20s. Mark, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks, Jim, for having me.